fire means a lot of things, different things to different people. Um, it can be very comforting in a fireplace or a fire pit when we, when we have those times, whether it be indoors or out. But uh, if you leave a child unattended who doesn't know the dangers of that flame, it can be very dangerous, can it? Fire can destroy. Recently, we've been under air quality advisories uh, because of thousands of acres of forest land that have been burning out of control in Canada. And some of us have been unable to get outside and enjoy the weather because of it. Fire also makes food tasty. You ready for lunch yet? Can I get an amen on that? No, I'm just, grilling season is here. Most of us love the unique flavors that are drawn out in meats and potatoes, veggies, and everything else on grills. Fire can also light the way. It can also give hope in darkness. It can be a signal that somebody is coming in your direction, giving you that, that much-needed boost when you're going through discouraging times. But there are times when we find ourselves in the fire. When things happen, when pressure mounts, when, when things appear to be hopeless for us, all eyes are on us, and we don't know what's going to happen, and we feel this heat rising within us from the back, our back up to our necks, and we wonder what to do. You see, those times in the fire are defining moments. And the question that we find ourselves facing when we, when we stand before that or we stand in it is, will we pursue the way of Babylon or will we pursue the ways of God? We're continuing this series of messages out of uh, the book of Daniel called Living in Babylon. And just like it was for them, it's easy for us to become overwhelmed by the evil around us, just as Daniel and his uh, people in Daniel's day were. You see, there had been several thousand or hundreds of thousands of people that had been deported along with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the land of Babylon. That's the way uh, Babylon conquered people. They, they integrated them within the, their culture and they forced them to follow the, their ways, and they removed them from their own homeland so that they would not have any strength. And most of the Jews who were in captivity not only felt defeated, but they also felt hopeless because everything that they knew, everything that they valued had been taken away from them. And from all outward appearances, the God of, of Judah, the God of Israel, had been defeated by the God of Babylon. And yet Larry Osborne wisely points out that this was actually a judgment, a call to repentance for the people of Israel, the people of Judah, to go ahead and return back to God. But they needed to repent of their sins. They needed to reflect on where they were and refocus on making him their priority instead of a convenience to lean on. And in the midst of this huge change for a nation, 
Daniel and his friends stand out as some prime examples about what can happen when we choose to honor the Lord, even in difficult or hostile circumstances. As followers of Jesus, many times we get this mistaken notion that that if we follow him, life's going to be easy and problem-free. Those of us who have lived for Jesus for any length of time kind of snicker at that because we've learned better, haven't we? It was Jesus himself who said, in this world you will have trouble. In other words, while you're on this earth, you're still in your Babylon with all the temptations, with all the hurts, with all the excuses and seemingly impossible and hopeless situations that are going to come at you. And when that stuff hits, it's easy to go ahead and give up. We tend to do three things. We either either freeze, we run away, we flight or fight. And in those hard situations, we can come up with a ton of excuses. Yeah, but. And if that's your tendency, let me ask you to consider, but God instead. But God. Because he is greater than any of the buts we may come up with before him. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as Andrew shared with us a few weeks ago. And they were friends and co-workers of Daniel. The four of them were forced to move from, to Babylon uh, together during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, as he deported people from Judah to his own country after he had annihilated the kingdom of Judah and then had destroyed the temple of God and taken all the precious and sacred artifacts and taken them with him over to the temple of his God. And these four young men were selected to be a part of the king's court. And faith seems to have been sown into these young men's hearts at a very early age because they probably were deported when they were around 15 or 16 years old. And we don't know when their faith in God became real, but we know when we first see it. Because Daniel chapter 1 tells us that these young men decided, hey, we're not going to eat the king's food the stuff that's been sacrificed to idols, the stuff, the stuff that is not healthy, the, the stuff that goes against the laws of God. Instead, we're going to choose to eat water and vegetables for the time being, which contrasted to the high-fat, high-cholesterol Big Macs that the king ate. Now, I don't know whether he did or not. McDonald's wasn't around then. And at the end of the t- their 10-day trial period, They were in better physical condition than all the other candidates who were supposed to serve in the king's court. And by the end of their three-year training period, Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, and and, uh, uh, Hananiah outperformed, outsmarted, and demonstrated a greater grasp of all the subjects that they had been trained in than all of the others combined. And they earned some high positions of influence in the king's court. 
By being obedient to God and not eating defiled food, they saw God honor their faith and trust in God. Their faith in God was established at that point. But chapter 2 of Daniel tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was one crazy, cantankerous, and unpredictable king. He had a dream that he wanted people to interpret. He wanted his advisors to interpret it. And he told them, you need to tell me what the dream is as well as the interpretation. I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. And the number, a number of the advisors looked him square in the face and said, your majesty, you're crazy. We can't do that. And he got so ticked that he ordered all of his advisors to be killed, and that included Daniel and his friends. Now Daniel, when he found out about it, asked for time, and the four of them prayed fervently, and Daniel was given not only the dream, but also the interpretation of the dream by God himself. And in sharing it with the king, he spared the lives not only of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but hundreds of others as well. Undoubtedly, from this experience, the faith of these men was solidified in that moment. They truly experienced God and his faithfulness to them and to others. But their faith was finally expressed as they faced a major challenge. Because Babylon, friends, is going to challenge you. Your world is going to challenge your faith. Your, your perspective is going to be, uh, be faced with a different perspective. And the question that you're going to be faced with, just like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is what are you going to do with this? How are you going to respond? In this event, in Daniel chapter 3, we don't hear of Daniel. He must have been out doing business for the king out in the countryside or something like that. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there. And in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we read this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, he then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it, and the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And we looked at this in chapter 2, but this king was an expert in providing powerful, extrinsic motivation. Worship or burn. Pure and simple. 
And at the prearranged signal, everybody bowed and worshiped, everybody that is, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they stood, and they stood tall, and they stood with conviction. And Nebuchadnezzar got ticked, and yet at the same time, after calling Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to himself and facing them facing him, he decided he wanted to give them a second chance. I want you to listen to the answer that they gave to the king in verses 16 through 18 of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Folks, I want you to hear this very clearly because this is significant. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were surrounded by pagan practices and they were in a pagan land. And they didn't go around trying to proselytize and saying, hey, do you know, do you know the God of Israel? Do you know the God, of, the, the God that is the true living God? They simply chose not to participate in a pagan act themselves. And in the process, they continued to show that respect that we've seen all the way through from Daniel chapter 1 until now to the king and to the authorities before them. And even when faced with the threat of death for not bowing like everyone else did, they did not flinch. That's easy to find ourselves in situations like this and, 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 and just think, man, it's really not that big of a deal, is it? I mean, how many thousands are there actually worshiping? Did they really believe that that statue of, of Nebuchadnezzar was who they were worshiping? All they did was, in many cases, was to make the king happy and avoid being thrown in the furnace. But I want you to know, friends, that one compromise in our faith always leads to another, and then another, and then another. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that if they bowed, they would be disobeying the second commandment, which said that they should have no other gods before the Lord. You see, we're no different. Sometimes we find ourselves wondering, was telling a lie that big of a deal? When, even if it's a little white one, when God says in the Ten Commandments not to lie, not to bear false witness. 
And we find ourselves thinking in our culture, well, is sexual expression outside of marriage or living together when, when, when God says that the covenant between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, is the only thing that allows for that sexual expression? Is, is it really that big of a deal? And yet God says in Hebrews 13:4 that the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Or we find ourselves saying, is it, is, it, is it bad to be greedy, to go ahead and try to accumulate things, to go ahead and, and become richer and richer and richer and just focus on things? When we do, we ignore what God says in Colossians chapter 3, which says that greed is nothing less than idolatry, which is the worship of self. One compromise here, one compromise there. And pretty soon we find ourselves so far away from God and more in line with the Babylon that we live in. Folks, please hear me when I say this. We've been preaching it. Um, I, I know Roger and Andrew have been preaching this for years. I know that I've been preaching it since I've been here. Following God is a radical lifestyle. Always. It is so distinctive because it is filled with purpose, with focus and joy, regardless of our circumstances. It's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle that finds fulfillment in God rather than being embraced by others. And because of that, it's going to cause friction to, for others. It's going to cause opposition by others. It's going to create even persecution for us. A few weeks ago, I asked point blank, if we are fans or followers of Jesus, because there's a big difference. And Jesus points it out in Luke 9.23 when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Fans are just spectators. Followers, real disciples of Jesus, have skin in the game. They have their lives on the line for him. And for the three men in our story, being a follower meant being thrown into a fiery furnace. And when they did that, people expected to hear screaming and moaning and, and smell flesh burning and, 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 and witness carnage. And instead, they and Nebuchadnezzar all saw something amazing. In verses 24 through 27 of chapter 3, it says that then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of Most High God, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. 
And the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Totally protected. Shielded from heat and harm by God himself, who was walking with them. And commentators often say that this is one of the forms of the pre-incarnate Jesus who was with them. And my question to you and to me is, what kind of fire are we facing? Maybe it's the heat of discouragement or or the, the burn of loneliness. Maybe it's a charring illness or the scalding of opposition, the ongoing combustion of loss and grief. Maybe it's the searing uncertainty of the future or the combustion of compromise to bow to idols of our world and not to stand for God. And folks, when these and other fires end up hitting us square between the eyes, we feel alone. We feel very alone. And we wonder, are we going to be consumed by them? And when those moments, we may be crying out to God and asking if he's really with us. Sometimes we may even find ourselves saying, God, have you abandoned us altogether? Why are we having to face these times in spite of having been faithful? We've had our moments when our faith was established. It's also been solidified. I mean, if we were blessed before, why this? Why now? 39 years ago, we found ourselves asking that very same question. We were blessed with, uh, we have twin boys, and we were blessed with a third son, Jonathan Mark. Yesterday was his birthday. He lived 20-some days and then died, massive holes in his heart went through two open heart surgeries, three heart catheterizations, and this in the frame of a child that was a little over six pounds. Why did that happen? That was a fire, folks. We, we still feel, we feel the burn. And yet I have to tell you, as God is my witness, that he walked with us through that fire. And by his grace, we have walked out stronger and more in tune with people than we ever thought we would be. See, sometimes God helps us to avoid the fire, but sometimes... He allows us to go through the fire so that we can express and grow our faith through it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Peter says, in all this, that is the promises of God through Jesus Christ, you greatly rejoice. 
Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, and these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, fire can burn or warm, but fire can also refine. A number of months ago, or a number of years ago, that is, I heard a speaker say that God uses the fire of trials that we're going through just as a blacksmith uses fire to forge and temper steel. You see, the forging is used to remove the impurities, and the tempering is to refine and to make, it, make the steel strong. And by the same token, those, the forging for us ends up removing those things that stand in the way of our relationship with God so that we can draw even closer to Him. And then we are tempered so that we will remain strong through other trials, so that we can endure pressure, so that we can endure opposition. And in order for that to happen, the heat needs to be extremely high and the pounding needs to be intense. And yet through it all, through it all, God is doing the molding so that we have the opportunity in those hot and difficult moments to lean on Him, to trust in Him, to commit our ways to Him and express our love for Him. Somebody who's going through that refining process right now is your senior minister, Roger. And even though it's discouraging to hear of, of, of moments when he's struggling and different things like that, we are inspired to see that he is staying strong in his faith and that Jane is doing the same. And we continue to pray for them and we continue to lift them up because they are being examples to us of what it means to stay strong in that fire. Someone I know lost a husband who is a devoted believer in Jesus to suicide a number of years ago. And she had gone through years filled with adjustments for her and her children and and the hurt and the unsolved answers. And through those moments, God continued to forge and temper them through the fire. And on the other side of her journey, she wrote this. Today, I'm thankful for brokenness. It is a place that reminds me that God is ever-present, the ultimate healer of hearts, and master artisan weaving together the phrase of our lives. It is a place where God shows up in the most tender of ways, and I'm humbled for what he is teaching my family and me. It's a place where I continue to recognize that God is calling, that God is calling And he is teaching, stand on truth and to be a light in darkness. Today is a reminder, she says, of a husband, father, son, friend who lost hope in this world. 
And we're not assured of life without heartache, but we know with great confidence that our God will never fail or abandon us. I'm thankful for his promises and the rich blessings I have in my family, my church, and my friends. I find joy in knowing that we serve a God that shows up no matter what and always fills the empty spaces of our hearts. Our hope rests in Jesus. Today, I'm grateful, blessed, thankful for the brokenness. Folks, if you get nothing out of this message, would you, would you write this down? Hang on to it. Because if you haven't been through the fire, you will be at one point or another. And here's the truth that you need to write down. The Lord is always with us in the fire. Can you repeat that with me? The Lord is always with us in the fire. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And it's such an encouragement to see someone emerge from a fire forged, tempered with the strength of the Lord in them and through them. And you may find yourselves asking this question, though. Well, that's fine and dandy, but what about those people that don't survive the fire? What about those that are burned anyway? What about those who lose their jobs? What about those that still see their families fall apart? What about those who are alienated or beaten or killed? And again, I go back to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and said. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says that I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Folks, there are a lot of meanings attached to Revelation, but one thing that we can know for certain is that in God's kingdom, when he establishes it forever, those who die in their faith for the Lord have favored status before him. They've been through the fire. And even though it may have cost them their lives on this earth, their reward awaits them that is far greater than anything that could ever be imagined. 
And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, we may face some major challenges in Babylon, but our God is so much bigger than any of them, even fiery furnaces. So run the race. Run it with perseverance. Don't give up. And always, always keep your eyes on Jesus, especially in the fire. Especially in the fire. Father, there are so many of us in this room. Uh, many of us have probably walked in with a smile on our face. But our hearts are broken. Our emotions are frayed. We don't know if we're going to face some major challenges or whether or not we're going to break down. I know that there are hurts in this place. And some are walking through a fire the likes of which none of us none of us really understand. Lord, help them that and help us to live our faith in those moments. Help us to find you faithful. Because you don't promise that you're going to go ahead and, and, and be with us and, and make everything okay right now. But you promise that you are with us and you will bless us if we obey. And if we keep our eyes on you, no matter what. May we leave with that resolve today. And for those that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that there will be a desire instilled to want to find out more about this God who walks with us through the fire and find the hope and the healing that is available only in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. You may need to make a decision today for Jesus. He wants to walk with you through the fire. If you need to do that, I'm going to stand up front for a while uh, while we're singing. If you want to come and talk, we can sit down here and pray together and talk about where you are and where you need to be. You may need to go ahead and be covered in the blood of the Lamb so that you can walk through the fire and you need to be baptized into Him today. Come to the front. Let's talk. Turn your lives over to him. Let's stand and sing together.